Our text today is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, where we read that on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He was risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. It's a pretty unlikely story, isn't it? We've, we've heard this story often enough, and as Christians, we believe this, and we proclaim it, and we say, as we're about to say before we take communion in the Nicene Creed, that we believe in the resurrection of the dead. This was a tough one to swallow. When the disciples heard the report, they did not believe the women who told them, not because of any particular defect of character on that part, but because they had told them that a dead guy had risen from the dead that the tomb where they had laid the Lord Jesus some 36 hours beforehand was empty. This does, does it not, sound like nonsense, right? I mean, even in the first century, people knew that, like, dead people tend to stay dead, right? The reason that the women had brought spices with them to the grave was not that they were baking something. They brought spices to the grave because the way you would do burial in that time and place was you had a, a basically a, a shelf, a, a stone shelf, usually carved out of, out of the rock, and you would take a, a body that was wrapped in a cloth and usually with some spices with the body. We read uh, elsewhere it's about 75 pounds worth of spices wrapped up and the body would be laid on the shelf. And you might come a little bit later as well with some spices to mask the odor because the idea was this body would decompose in a cave. They do that. The idea was that you you had the the stone rolled away to keep any any, uh, animals from getting at it because the body would decompose. And you'd come back about a year later and you would take the bones and you'd put them in a box about yay big called an ossuary. That's, and, and then you would save that. You, you'd put that someplace that was special, kind of like some people will do today with, with an urn full of ashes. They may put it up on the mantle. 
Uh, and you, you, know, you, you, would, you would keep that, that box someplace, or you, you might bury it if you wanted to, but, but the, the process was a pretty straightforward one. You take a body, you put it on this stone shelf in a cave, you come back a year later, you collect the bones, and then you can reuse that tomb. It, it probably did not have uh, cinder block walls like in the picture, on the cover of your bulletin, and whether in fact the Easter Bunny was crushed by the stone is also a matter of historical dispute. But what you see there is kind of like what you would what you would find, although usually the stone the, the shelf would be kind of off to the side. So when the women came and they found that the tomb was empty, obviously what would they have first expected? Well, somebody's come and stolen the body, right? What would they not have expected? That he was raised from the dead, even though he'd said he was going to. Because people don't do that, right? The dead people stay dead. You even remember when, when Jesus raised Lazarus, and, and he, he said... To, to his, his, his sisters, he says, don't, don't, don't you believe, don't you believe in the resurrection? It's like, yeah, I believe in the resurrection at the last day. I mean, there's an expectation that later on, all of God's people will be raised from the dead. We get kind of a prefiguring of that in that picture of the Valley of the Dry Bones in Ezekiel chapter 37. But, but the idea that somebody would be buried and come back, doesn't happen. What also doesn't happen, by the way, is that somebody who has been scourged to within an inch of his life and then crucified by a Roman garrison, which are people who are very, very, very good at making sure that people who are supposed to be put to death end up dead. The idea that Jesus somehow passed out on the cross and then woke up in the tomb, rolled this massive stone away from the inside, and strolled on out is just about as unlikely. No, what happened is that Jesus, who was fully dead, stone dead, not, not dead yet, he was dead. And he was not mostly dead. He was dead. And then he was alive. And so naturally, what are the women... Do they're wondering about this? What on earth is going on? And then these angels show up. And they said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Remember, he said this was going to happen that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified. And on the third day be raised again. That wasn't metaphorical. He didn't mean that after about three days you would be able to break through your grief and, and still have a sense of his presence among you. He didn't mean that, that he, he would always be with you because he's in your hearts and you have these fond memories of him. He didn't mean that when you get together and if you break bread and drink wine like he did with you, that, that it'll be like he was right there with you. He didn't mean that he's up there in heaven smiling down at you. No. He said he was going to be crucified and three days later be raised again. 
which is exactly what happened. And what's interesting, when we look elsewhere in the New Testament, whether it's in the great sermons that are delivered by the apostles in the book of Acts, like Peter in Acts chapter 10, you see that Peter says, when he's explaining to his fellow Jews in Jerusalem what happened, you see Peter says, you know, you know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after John's baptism, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Everybody knew that. It was hard to, hard to deny. But see, we're, we're witnesses, Peter says. We're, we're witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jeru- Jews and in Jerusalem. I mean, we, we were with him when he was doing all this. We traveled with him. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, and don't miss this, and caused him to be seen. See, the story that's told in Scripture is not just that the tomb was empty and some angels showed up and said, hey, Jesus is risen. No, the story that is told is that Jesus shows up risen from the dead. The resurrected Jesus shows up to his disciples in several places. And Peter says, now he wasn't seen by everybody, but he was seen by witnesses God already had chosen, including and especially those of us who ate and drank with him, i.e. people who would know if it wasn't really him. Like if if some Jesus lookalike had come in and said, hey, I'm Jesus, risen from the dead. And if he wasn't, we would know that. But no, we knew that this was Jesus whom we knew, whom we loved. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We get something very similar in, in the beginning of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul's just majestic riff on the resurrection. But he starts off by saying, now my brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in nonsense. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, the twelve disciples. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. And most of them are still living. I mean, a few have died, Paul says, but most of those 500 people that he appeared to are still around. You can ask them. You can go find them. Go ask around say, hey, is there anybody here? Go go to the community of people worshiping Jesus and say, hey, is anybody here one of the ones that he showed up to? And you'll find somebody who says, yeah, I was one of them. I saw him. Strange as it sounds, yes, for real. 
Jesus showed up, resurrected. And then, Paul says, then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and then, least last of all, he appeared to me as to one untimely born. And I am the least of the apostles, Paul says. I'm the last one that Jesus showed up to. But he did. I'm testifying. That's a big deal, right? Remember one of the one of the Ten Commandments is not to give false testimony, not to bear false witness. Paul and Peter, and even though they, their testimony wouldn't have been accepted in a court of law, these women are bearing witness to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that He is not in the tomb because the tomb is empty. And the tomb is empty because the dead man in it is no longer dead. He has risen from the dead. And because of that, and as, we, as you may have noticed, when the story gets told in these sermons and acts and in the encapsulations of the gospel that Paul tells, that's always told with a reminder that he, raised, he was raised from the dead, that his death was for the forgiveness of sins, that he died an atoning death in our place. And his resurrection means as we're going to be celebrating at the next service, that those who are baptized with him in his death are also raised with him in his new resurrection life. That the story that we think ends for us in our own graves is not the end of the story. That that story continues, and that one day when God raises the dead, He will raise us. And now we get to live a foretaste of that resurrection life, those who are in Christ. This is a scandalously crazy story, isn't it? I mean, elsewhere Paul says that this is foolishness to anybody who's got any cosmopolitan sense of how things work. And and it's an absolute scandalous outrage to people who were raised in an understanding of what Messiah is supposed to be and do and whose expectations were either disappointed or completely blown out of the water by what Jesus did. This is a horribly unlikely story, and if it's not true, then we are absolutely wasting our time here. There are many better things we could be doing this morning, including sleeping, than telling the story about a man who died and then rose from the dead. But if it is true, and the Scriptures seem to be telling us that there are a whole lot of witnesses to the fact that it is. People really had no, would have no good reason to try to be telling this story if it wasn't actually true. If it is true, then it does mean that death does not have the last word. It does mean that Jesus is who he said he was. It does mean that he is worthy of our worship, which is why we are here doing what we do. So as we prepare to take communion, as we prepare 
to celebrate the meal that Jesus, Jesus gave us. Let me invite you to stand. We'll recite together the words of the Nicene Creed, and after that we will have communion together. We're going to try something a little different today. We've been trying to figure out the right flow in this building. What we're going to try today, don't laugh, we're going to try to have everybody come up that aisle. So go kind of toward the back, go around, and come up here and receive the elements, and then go back to your seat. Do you think, do you, think you can handle that? Uh, Marty, Marty's not sure. Uh, James, James thinks he can handle it. So I'll leave that one right there. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen.